This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. In 2012, approximately 29 million Americans, a little over 9% of the population, had diabetes. And approximately one and a quarter million children and adults had type 1 diabetes. As the number of people with diabetes in this country grows, the demand for more effective treatments grows as well. Here to fill us in on one such treatment is Dr. Reiner Grusner. He's a professor of surgery and the division chief of transplantation at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Grusner. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me back, Linda. So what happens to people when they have type 1 diabetes? What are the long-term health consequences of this disease? Well, maybe let me take a step back and look at the bigger picture of diabetes in general. <clears throat> you mentioned already 5 or 10% of patients are type 1 diabetic, which are what we used to be called insulin-dependent or juvenile-onset diabetics. However, diabetes has become one of the major health concerns um, in the nation and across the world. You already mentioned that about uh, 10 to 15% of Americans are diabetic. There are probably another 20% that are pre-diabetics and don't even know about it. It is uh, one of the leading causes um, of death and major health consequences. It's the number one uh, reason for heart attacks, probably the number one reason for strokes, um, the number reason for major amputations, the number one reason for kidney failure, and the number one reason for blindness. So it has taken a huge toll on, on all of us, and we as a country spend about $250 billion a year on medical costs and losses, wages, and so forth. Um, it is uh, considered to be one of the top five to eight um, uh, most common causes of death, um, more likely than not underreported because um, about only 40% of diabetics' diabetes is even mentioned as the cause of death or the underlying cause um, of death. So I mean, we are dealing with a, with a major, major problem. And over the last few years, I mean, we have made significant improvements both in the standard conservative treatment as well as in um, uh, rarer uh, types of treatments such as transplantation. So let's go back a little bit here further. You, you did a nice overview of, obviously, the concern in this country for diabetes and the, and the tremendous health ramifications that it has for us. But what exactly is going on in diabetes? I mean, the pancreas is really having a problem. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the two types are differentiated by the fact that in type 1 diabetics, the body produces antibodies and destroys basically the insulin-producing cells, the so-called beta cells. So a type 1 diabetic usually does not have beta cells left in his body and is not able to produce any insulin. Type 2 diabetics, it is different. Um, you either don't produce enough insulin or the body, uh, and that means uh, fatty tissues, uh, um, muscles, and so forth, are not able to um, break down the glucose levels, and then you end up with um, high blood sugar levels. So they are very distinct in, I mean, their pathophysiology, their origin, and uh, between the two, obviously, the one that is more difficult to treat is type 1 diabetes. And that's because basically the pancreas has become non-functional. Um, the endocrine portion of the pancreas has become non-functioning because only 2% of the entire pancreas produce insulin. 98% of the pancreas produce enzymes that aid I mean, digestion of food and so forth. 
And it is interesting that you asked that question because it was not until the late 19th century that people understood the dual nature of the pancreas, that it had, that it did more than just producing enzymes. And then it was in the mid of the 19th century that these cells were detected, the so-called islet, um, of the islets of the pancreas, and we know now that they produce a number of hormones, of which the most prominent is insulin. And obviously insulin is crucial to regulating the blood sugar in the body. Correct. And without it, the, all of the consequences that you just described will take place over time if you don't have regulate, when you have uh, unregulated high blood sugar. So what is a viable treatment? I mean, how does the pancreas transplant, which is something you've come to talk about, present as a viable treatment for diabetes, and what type of diabetes? Yeah. So let's really concentrate on the type 1 diabetics, because those are the patients that require usually insulin and large amounts of uh, insulin administration. The problem that patients are facing is that even when they are very meticulous and thorough in trying to control their blood sugar levels, they not infrequently oscillate between the highs and the lows of um, um, blood sugar control. Um, in many patients, actually the majority of patients, we now have devices, pumps and, um, and other things in place that aid, I mean, the control of blood sugar levels. But in about 10% of all type 1 diabetics, and no matter how um, um, thoroughly they try to regulate their blood sugars by measuring blood sugar levels five, six, seven, eight times a day, by injecting insulin five, six times a day, uh, by their endocrinologists and diabetologists um, really um, helping them and assisting them as much as they can. And they still will not be able to avoid hypoglycemic episodes, meaning the blood sugar is too low, or episodes where the blood sugar is too high. Now, the ones that are too high um, are more likely than not responsible for the secondary complication of diabetes, but the low ones are the ones that are dangerous and actually can kill patients. So about 4% um, of patients with what we call hypoglycemia or hypoglycemic unawareness, frequent episodes of low blood sugar levels, die annually. That is a very high number. So if you extrapolate that life expectancy of an individual of 30, 40 years, and the um, chances of dying from hypoglycemia is 2 or 3%. You do the math and you know that the life expectancy will be shortened just because of that. So that's where the pancreas transplant comes in because no matter how sophisticated current devices are, they will not create a, um, an environment of normal glycemia, as we call it. Um, it will just correct, I mean, the current blood sugar levels, but there's a lag time to react, and very frequently it ends to and produce hypoglycemia. So what does the tra the pancreas transplant actually accomplish? Are you actually removing that so-called malfunctioning tra uh, pancreas of the individual and replacing it with someone else's pancreas? No, you just add another um, organ to the body of the patient. The pancreas of the patient remains in place because remember 98% is just for the function of uh, digesting food and the patient still needs that, so we add a pancreas to the body of the patient as we do it with kidney transplants. We don't usually take the kidneys out. Now, <clears throat> the reason why pancreas transplant works is, and we don't really understand um, um, all the mechanisms, is 
is that it creates and is the only way to create long-term normal glycemia. So you don't run into the problems of low blood sugar levels anymore, and you don't usually run into the problem of high blood sugar um, either. So it is it is actually the it select... It stabilizes. It absolutely stabilizes things, and in many ways, because it stabilizes blood sugars, it also can halt or even reverse some of the diabetic complications. So in patients who already have a kidney failure, um, we usually do a diabetic patient with kidney failure. We do a combined pancreas-kidney transplant because adding the pancreas is just the surgical um, or the addition of the surgical procedure, but the patient's already um, on immunosuppression, so we don't add any other significant risks to it. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for a minute. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with transplant surgeon Dr. Reiner Gerstner. We're talking about pancreas transplants, but let's get back to who are the people who are most who are the best candidates for this kind of surgery? I mean, we have so many people in this country with diabetes. It's people with type one, and is. people whose pancreas is malfunctioning almost in terms of insulin production. And then you started going into this idea that people who also need a kidney transplant. So help us understand all that. So in general, pancreas transplantation in 90% of the cases is for type one diabetes. Um, it is for patients that have brittle or labile diabetes. Where they need stabilization of their blood sugar. And no matter how hard they have tried or the doctor has tried, they have not been successful. And then there are patients who have already developed complications of diabetes. Such as? Kidney failure, where you do a combined procedure. But you also can <clears throat> um, include in that category patients who have developed certain complications that will predispose them to develop within month or years kidney failure so or eventually become blind. So you're preventing a failure of the kidney by basically reinforcing or stabilizing their pancreas by putting in a new pancreas. Absolutely correct, Linda. And you may also do that for people that have advanced retinopathy and they may turn blind in a few years from now. And again, I mean, stabilization of the blood sugars will not reverse, I mean, the change that are there, but will hold the progression of further changes. So everyone who has advanced secondary complications would also be considered a candidate for pancreas transplantation. Overall, it is a relatively small number of all the patients that have diabetes, but really the, the patients where the endocrinologists, the diabetologists fail are the ones that we usually see. It sounds like it can make a dramatic change then in their diabetes because if you really, if it is successful, and that's what I want to know from you, is, is how often is it successful, basically you've, you've eliminated the problem. That is correct. Now let me start first. The risk of undergoing the procedure and dying from the procedure is almost minimal. It is less than 5%. It's anywhere between 2 and 3%. Now if you take the standard diabetic population and you look at the mortality within one year, it is greater than 10%. So, I mean, of course, we are selective about who should have a pancreas transplant, but the results in terms of patient survival are excellent. And I also want to address one myth that has been um, presented many, many times, um, not only by patients, but also by physicians. And that is that immunosuppressive medication is harmful or will kill you. That was certainly a concern in the 1980s when patients from over-immunosuppression died because of infections. Let me interrupt you for a second. So what you're suggesting, just for our listeners, is that if you do get a pancreas transplant, even if you survive the surgery, which you should, and it's successful, often you would 
in the past have to take immunosuppressive medication so that the pancreas isn't rejected. And there's been some concern that there are side effects and risks associated with taking that medication. And you say no. It's changed. I, well, it's changed. I, I say it has dramatically improved. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why <coughs> we we are actually more active now in trying to get patients transplanted just with a pancreas rather than waiting until they have kidney failure. So in other words, it really can be a silver bullet for some patients. Absolutely. And the graft survival, meaning the transplanted or the survival of the transplanted pancreas is now about 85%. So you do the math. I mean, someone who undergoes a procedure has a very low risk of losing his or her life and a very, very low risk also of losing the pancreas. And the interesting thing is, is just imagine, I mean, you had diabetes for 20, 30 years. Every day you check your blood sugars eight times a day, you inject four or five times a day, and suddenly you have this functioning pancreas in your body. You can wake up in the morning, you can drink a Coke, you can eat a brownie, you don't have to check your blood sugar anymore. I mean, it's it's about quality it's of life. It's life-changing. It's life-changing, it's, it's life-saving, life but it's also life-enhancing. And, and the very little bit of time we have left, is there a problem, though, in securing the organs? I mean, I know that throughout, we've often talked on this show about the limit that we have in terms of kidneys with the great demand for kidneys. Is that also true with pancreas? Not right now. We do about 1,000 pancreas transplants um, per year in the nation, and we probably could do 1,500 to 2,000. So under um, the right circumstances, there is a way to expand um, the option of pancreas transplantation in the right patient. And as I said, it's, it really is for brittle and labile diabetic patients. And it can be life-saving. It absolutely life is. Life-changing. Thank you so very much for coming in and sharing this with us. I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's very hopeful information. My guest has been Dr. Reiner Grusner, Division Chief of Transplantation at Upstate Medical University and a professor of surgery here as well. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.